She's got a coffee. Everything's fine. <laughs> That's how I had works. my mental breakdown earlier. We're all good. <laughs> okay. All right, computer, don't let me down. Three, two, one. Hi. Hi. <laughs> uh, this is Matthew. This is Eric. And we're on the audience's friends. Hi, I'm Aaron Ron. Hi, I'm Andrew Torres of Opening Arguments. Hi, I'm Dr. Ben Davis. Hi, this is David G. McPhee. Hello, I'm Dr. Hector Garcia. Hello, I'm Dr. Jerry Coyne. Hi, I'm Nate Phelps. Hi, I'm Shelley Siegel. Hi, I'm Thomas Smith of Serious Inquiries Only. Hi, I'm Seth Andrews. I'm host of TheThinkingAtheist.com. Hi, I'm Ethan Siegel. Hi, I'm Robert Stanley of the Right to Reason podcast, and I took a left at the valley. And I loved it. (laughs) (laughs) I know we shouldn't have to scream that we're atheists. You know, we don't have non-astrologers and all that. But with religious people taking over the world, I mean, we can either speak up or be pushed into a corner. I'm proud to be an atheist, a skeptic, a non-believer, an infidel, a heathen. I call it how I see it. I say it's ignorance and you just call it faith and unsubstantiated claims. That's something to be ashamed. I'm an atheist. Ah, coming at you from the guillotine shop, this is Lift of the Valley. My name is Kevin and I am an organ donor. Yes, I've donated many bodies. <laughs> Joining me as usual is a team that can slam a revolving door. <laughs> she starred on Man vs. Wild and Wild Lost, Nazi. Absolutely. <laughs> was there any doubt? No doubt at all. There was Not never any doubt. <laughs> no. And she she almost had a heart attack once, but then her heart decided it was foolish enough to attack her. <laughs> I instill fear even in my own organs. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies, welcome back. I hope you had a great couple of weeks, actually. And you had to, unfortunately, take a week off. Technical difficulties. But that's okay. Let's just say that. That's okay. You know, our audience will be twice as, as, as excited to hear it. Delighted, yeah. excited. Yeah, sure, sure hope so, anyway. Yeah, unfortunately, the, the old laptop sound card crashed, so... And then I had to buy a whole new computer for that. Well, it is. We're back anyway. That's what matters. We're, we're back. We're back and better than ever. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we are very hard to keep down. Uh, so today we're going to be talking to Bernard Laborel, and we'll be going to talk, uh, talk about his book called The Covenant. And his very interesting premise about the origins of the Christian God. Mm-hmm. But first, let's do a bit of chit-chat. I guess we have a lot to talk about. Boy, do we ever. Yes. And I don't even know what we're talking about. (laughs) It's been one of those weeks, hasn't it? It's been two of those weeks. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. I guess let's start with some some, uh, interesting news. Uh, So um, the Canadian Senate decided to finally pass marijuana legislation. I, I was a little high at the time and, yes. <laughs> so, and missed it. <laughs> so weed, pot, call it what you want, is going to be legal coming September. Uh, and now I think they've pushed it back to actually October 14th, mm-hmm. something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, marijuana was criminalized in 1923. And as of 2016, there was 17,773 Canadians charged with possession. Mm. And it's, it's a thing of the past now. Yeah. That's right. 
So, do you want to get high, I guess? you got to come north of the 49 now. I know. Yeah, no kidding. Do, you, do you hear that there are the people, you know, that you know, are there more people that are for it than against it? Or are you still here? Oh, I don't think I've heard anybody against it at this point. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've heard a, a couple. They just don't know how it's all going to play out in terms of uh, driving laws or, um, you know, the, the, the prices of it, where it's going to be sold. So they're a little, little apprehensive about the, the distribution and consequences more than they are yeah. the marijuana itself. Well, that's going to happen from province to province. So every province yeah. is going to have a bit of different rules about all, all these, these kind of things. But what is, is really fun to know is that over 50% uh, of the... Uh, uh, there's been a raise of 50% of Americans more willing to come up north now all of a sudden. <laughs> Even Funny old how- friend uh, Robert Stanley said, hey, you guys uh, yeah. like fun. Hey, I got a reason to visit now. <laughs> that's right. Because we weren't good enough for him, apparently. No, nah, that's right. <laughs> uh, okay. Um, you guys want to say something about uh, the, uh, unfortunately, the, ugh, the also uh, trade war that keeps going? Between Canada and the U.S.? What do you say about this? The the funniest thing that's come out of this is when Trump was standing in front of, uh, I think he was standing in front of a a small business trade association of some kind, and he was saying that the tariffs are so bad in Canada, they're so bad that when people go down to the United States to buy shoes, they've got to scuff them up (laughs) so they look old, so they don't have to pay the tariffs. So they don't have to pay the tariffs. And I I nearly spit my iced tea out all over the, the floor. It's like, what in the world? He doesn't understand the difference between taxes and tariffs and when people have... So all uh, most of my friends are going, let's go down to the U.S. and scuff some up, okay? Scuff some shoes. I feel like of anything to do with this, the most that I've seen pop up is about the shoes <laughs> i you know right now i'm trying to arrange so we can uh interview a shoe mule <laughs> exactly <laughs> there was an article in the beaver yeah. town about an article, a shoe mule that could yeah. cram up nine pairs of shoes up his ass yeah. that's impressive <laughs> so i'm gonna try to get an interview with interview. one of these people oh that would be, That'd be golden fantastic. oh <laughs> Yeah, let's let's just hope he, he he before the interview he hasn't had to bring any stilettos over. <laughs> I mean, it's just it was it was such a bald face or bald face bald face whatever. It was such a lie <laughs> and, and so there, there was no reality to it whatsoever. And and yet I think there were actually some people in the U.S. that probably believed that we're oh. scuffing up pairs of $100 and $150 shoes just so we don't have to pay a non-existent tariff. That's wild. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, especially when you're driving to the border with your car, and I'm sure they start looking in the <laughs> footwell when you drive and see what pair of shoes you're wearing. Sir, will you step outside to show us your shoes? <laughs> we need to check the level of scuffness. That's right. <laughs> yes, three, three or above, and you've got a tariff facing you, sir. Come clean. <laughs> that was scuffness. Oh, uh, all right. Well, enough with the funny stuff and the, the, the nuts stuff. We've got to go into the bad news, unfortunately. Oh. There's been a comprehensive study that suggests the Antarctic is actually has lost 3 trillion tons of ice oh. between 92 and 2017. This has been published in Nature. 
The annual warming is three times worse than, uh, than estimated uh, 59 billion tons to 159 billion tons a year. So now the ice sheet is apparently 24 million square kilometers, and it holds 60% of all fresh water on Earth. Wow. And wow. it's rapidly disappearing. So, mm. yeah, the global climate change, uh, guys, uh, we might want to get on that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, of course, we, we can't go by without talking about the biggest story of this week, of course, which was the... Um, the U.S. immigration thing, the holding the childrens in in cages, uh, it's like it, 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 it's 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 such an atrocity that I literally have have been upset, yes, depressed, angry, frustrated, trying to think of ways to help, trying to think of something in the legal. Um, world that mm-hmm. is happening, and it's it's becoming. Um, there was a cartoon of a woman and a friend walking, and she said, "My my desire to be well informed is at odds with my desire to remain sane." Yeah, and yeah. that's about where I am. Yeah, uh, right now, <coughs> as we speak, there's over twenty three hundred children that have been taken from parents. Um, it, the funny thing is, illegal immigration in the state is actually a well, it's a misdemeanor. It's not even like a huge crime, and uh, these these children are are, uh, are held back, and their parents are locked up. The funny thing is, is if you look uh, how people are divided along uh, political parties, and you ask how unacceptable is it, ninety nine percent of Democrats, which of course is a number you would expect, sixty six percent of Independents, and three only thirty nine percent of Republicans thought this was unacceptable. The rest of them thought, yeah, it's fine. And 20% of them, those Republicans, actually weren't sure. It's a felony misdemeanor, which means that if these parents or these adults or children, um, and and they all go to court, little three-year-old children do go to immigration court, and if they have no one to represent them, they're guilty and they go off to detention. But um, the, the the fact that it is a misdemeanor is a little misleading because it's a felony misdemeanor. And if any of those people want to go through this process in terms of gr- being granted asylum, mm-hmm. that will be held against them. The only recourse that they're going to have is to say, I wanted my child back more than I cared about the plea. I didn't understand and I was coerced. But... They've structured this to to be the maximum yeah. amount of pain on as many brown children and parents as they can. Yeah, and uh, amongst all this, the, the funny thing is, is Trump's approval is actually standing at forty five percent right now, which is higher than some of his predecessors, which is amazing, absolutely amazing. I don't understand this. Uh, how, how people are not seeing this? I mean, even the UN came out and basically condemned the United States for doing something like that. Well, you know the old the old um, movie tone movies of Hitler standing mm-hmm. there and saying it's all the Jews' fault. Yes, and you looked at all those people doing the Heil Hitler. This, is exactly there any the is there any difference? No, I I don't like to use a, the Hitler comparison because a lot of people say you, you, to, I mean, you use a Hitler how comparison. Can you avoid you it? Yeah, you can't. You can't. Yeah, exactly. You and, can't avoid and, it. And there's the base. There's the forty five percent, and this may be harsh, but. That's that's the base. Yeah, uh, I I don't I don't know. I, and the funny thing is, they don't seem to realize that you've traumatized these kids forever now. These kids are going to be remembering this all through their life. This is how you create terrorists. Yeah. 
This is how you create criminals. These exactly. kids from now on will never, ever, ever trust any position of authority, government, police, or whatsoever. You're just making the problem worse. 20 years down the road, all these kids right now are going to be problems. And it's like, ah. And I mean, wh- look at what's been done to them. Why should they trust? No, exactly. exactly. You know, I, they have I, no reason to trust any, any government authority after this. I'm, no. I'm, I'm bringing this up as, a, as an extreme example However, a horrible part of Canadian history mm-hmm. it was the the church did and the government did separate uh, First Nations First Nations children. Yes. And, At this day, we're still paying for that. And you look at the generations since that time and the trauma and the consequences. I, 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 the, the, the trauma may not be as endemic as it mm-hmm. was because those children were kept at these hor- in horrible conditions at school for many years. But the effect on young brains, regardless of the amount of separation, is going yeah. to cause the same, yeah, same you, problems. They've said something in motion here they might actually come to regret 20, 30, 40 years from now. No, I, I think this is have to go to the courts, um, and and or wait to midterms, and the thought of children languishing mm-hmm. until it can go through that process is intolerable. Yeah. just intolerable. And on top of that, speaking of Orange Menace, uh, the United States decided to quit the UN Human Rights Council. Uh-huh. Yeah, <laughs> you guys winning? Great yet? timing, you guys. You guys winning yet? <laughs> because they basically quoted because of quote bias against Israel, okay, mm-hmm. um, which is kind of funny because they kind of overlooked the human rights abuses from Cuba, Venezuela, and China. <laughs> so okay, so uh, uh, this is this is the first because no country has ever dropped out voluntarily of this. This is they're the first time. You know that sentence, Kevin, is no country has ever. I think you can put that in front of almost. Anything that the administration <laughs> yes. has done this far? Yes, absolutely. And the funny thing is, apparently, uh, recently, Russia has piped up saying, hey, we'll take that seat. <laughs> oh, oh, boy. No, it's just going to be wonderful. We will no longer have the UN, but we're going to have North Korea and Russia yeah, on our there side. We go. There we go, the top three. You know, Americans used to, th- to really think that. Russia and North Korea on your side, and you lose Canada and the European Union. Hey, you know, <laughs> what's the point? <laughs> yeah, who cares if we all get great haircuts? And last but certainly not least, Coco. The gorilla died. Oh, I saw yeah. that. I'm yeah. so sad. She passed was, in her sleep. She was wonderful. She really, she was very kind. She loved having a, a kitten as a pet. Yeah, she loved Aww. kittens. Yeah. And she died at the age of 46. 46? She had a good life. Well, you know, I'm not sure how long gorillas live, but I'm pretty sure they can live longer than that. Uh, I don't know. I, I, know that, I, I know that living to... 40s is pretty like chimpanzees is pretty mm-hmm. pretty typical. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, what an inspiration! Yes, what a beautiful I mean, it's, animal it's, she was. You always think of uh, closest primate and all that. You think of chimpanzees, mm-hmm. and you never think of gorillas as much more than brutes. You know, like primate brutes. Yeah. But you know that gorilla was obviously smart enough to to communicate with people, and she did that for uh, for for ages. I remember seeing a video of her um, having a laugh with uh, Robin Williams. 
Yeah. Of all people, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And Mr. Rogers. She mm. met Mr. Rogers. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah, she met Mr. Rogers, and that was his favorite episode of all that he did. He he really? loved sitting and, and, and uh, talk, talk, you know, doing um, some American Sign Language with Coco, and they just sat and looked at each other for a while, and he said he really, you know, felt inspired by by her isn't yeah. that funny yeah uh, there's, a, there's a nice little anecdote where they say uh, one time they came to visit Coco and in her enclosure she had uh, destroyed the sink it was like a little sink <laughs> when they asked her in sign language what happened to the sink <laughs> she blamed the kitten <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god. <laughs> that cat, is priceless. The cat did it, right? Yeah. So, <laughs> so it's just rest in peace, Coco. I mean, uh, hopefully there'll be much more gorillas and members of her species. I think species. there are. I, I oh, think there, there are. Yeah, she, yeah, she wasn't there, unique. There, are. there were more. She was, the, she was, she just was a famous. pioneer. Yeah, she, she was, was a pioneer. She was a pioneer. Exactly. Yeah, bless her. Yeah, perfect. All right, my dear Nancy, you ready for a top ten? Sure. Right. Always ready for a top ten. Okay, today we're going to do, I always say this is going to be a little different. I'm tired of say, I shouldn't you say, say that, that every anymore. Time. Every, it is. I mean, I, I, I took this on so that each week would be a little bit different, but <laughs> here I am, more, more mouth and brains. Anyway... Um, this week we are going to do the top 10 children's books. Anybody Ooh. here a, a fan of children's books or remember reading? When I was a kid, I guess. We have about two bookshelves full of children's books at our house currently. Now this will be well, interesting because I'm pretty sure most of these books I will not be familiar with because I grew up in a different culture myself. Right? Well, let's That's French Canadian. We'll, we'll see who's in, who's in Kirsten's library and who's in your memory and who I read myself and read to the kids. Okay, number 10 is um, Madeline Lengel's A Wrinkle in Time, number 10. They had a movie out, but it was substantially changed. Anybody read A Wrinkle in Time? I have not read that yet. Neither have I. Read it as an adult. If you didn't read it as a child, it's wonderful. Um, The heroine is a girl named Meg Murray, and her father, who's a physicist um, and familiar with time travel, disappears. And um, Meg and her brother... Charles Wallace and um, her other brother Calvin set out across the universe to, oh, I'm sorry, Calvin is a friend. Uh, they set off across the universe to find the father. And so they have all of these adventures. And it, it was one of the first science fictions that, that had um, a girl as the heroine. It's a beautiful, beautiful book and, and really worth reading. Okay, number nine. Um, Ursula Le Guin, A Wizard of Earthsea. Anybody read? I have not read it, but it is on my list of books to read. Ah, why would that be on your list? I mean, is it science fiction or fantasy that you like? Or? Mm-hmm, definitely. Yeah, because she's, uh, she's well known for that. This one has to do with a young boy named Sparrowhawk. And with a smattering of magic he learned from his aunt, a local witch, he um, becomes a... Um, he, he, he becomes a, a sorcerer in training, so it has to do with, with his adventures. And There's a whole fantasy. series with that, isn't there? Yeah, I think so. Um, I don't know how many how many there are, but it's um, it, it's really a, a marvelous 
marvelous book, and I can understand why it would be on your list. So read it and then tell us about it. Will do. Yeah, absolutely. Number eight, here's one that everybody should be familiar with, Ronald Dahl's Chocolate, uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Oh, of course, of course. Yeah, did you read it or see the movie? No, I just saw both movies. I have not actually read it. Yeah, it's it is one. Of, of course, he he did a lot of a lot of books. Uh, Stuart Stuart Little, um, so he he enjoyed writing for children. So, but um, the um, um, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, the Grandpa Joe, Oompa Loompas, and the Golden Tickets, and all of that, and Willy Wonka have really you know been part now of, of the culture of, of the U.S. He's so well so well ingrained. Number seven. A.A. Milne, Winnie the Pooh. Did you do any Winnie the Pooh? I believe I have. Yeah. That's very, very gentle stories for young children. And um, it's about Christopher Robin. It was, uh, it was, the, the books were for his own child. Wasn't and the Winnie the Pooh named after a bear? Yes, he was the, a teddy in the, bear. In the, in the Winnipeg Zoo? Well, there was the, the bear and Piglet and Tigger and Eeyore the donkey, and they're just wonderful, calming. I actually have my original Winnie the Pooh book in my library. Wow. So, yeah, yeah. Well, it was back a ways, that's for sure. My was favorite written, was always Eeyore. Yeah. I love Eeyore. It was written in 1926. So it's entertained a lot, a lot of children. My and of aunt, course, there are still yeah. Winnie the Pooh T-shirts and you know kids things. My aunt has a Winnie the Pooh tattoo. Oh, I love it! <laughs> I love it. Number six, and you're going to have to help me with this because I've never said this out loud or know whether it's correct. Antoine de Saint X X E X P U E X U P E R Y. Antoine de Saint Exupéry. Thank you. <laughs> the Little Prince. The Little Prince. <laughs> I can do the Little Prince part. <laughs> Ever read that one? I believe so, yes, but it's so far gone, yes. On the, but that on was this in little French. Planet. Yeah, yeah. That was the, that was the, the, the aviator prince. who uh, disappears into the into the the into the, the desert. So it's it's a very famous one. Number five, Louisa May Alcott, Little Women. She also wrote Little Men, but Little Women has been turned into movies and yes. it's a play and, and so forth. But to follow all these girls, they, they they were portrayed so that you almost felt they were in the room with you. They were just beautiful. Did you ever read that, Kirsten? So far, I haven't read any of these, but I've heard of all of them. Yeah, Little Women would be one that, you, that you'd enjoy. That is way back in 1868, and you can still enjoy every every bit of it. Patreon goal! Have Kirsten read all these books. Yeah, there you go. Now, Number four, Lewis Carroll, Alice's Adventures in oh, Wonderland. Of course, yes. Yeah, which is which is just great. You know, all of the, the children don't always get all of the lines that are given to the various <laughs> characters, but you can read them as an adult, oh. and you and they're just wonderful like as well. Drug messages and Alice in Wonderland don't get that right <laughs> yeah. away. Yeah, I can understand that. Any you know? any age, it's it just it was written so beautifully, and of course we all know that Lewis Carroll was a nom de plume of Charles Dodson. Number three, this is one of my favorites, Maurice Sendak's Where the Wild Things Are. Oh, yeah. oh Hi, we found one that I've read. There you go. The, the, the writing and the illustrations were just wonderful. I didn't mm. like the illustrations. You I didn't? didn't? I, you thought they were I, too scary? No, I didn't think they were scary. I just didn't like I thought they were... 
rough, and I want more finesse out of my monsters, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> well, I think there's something about them when, when your mom is sitting there reading them. They're not as, you know, they're not as ugly. You know, yeah, you maybe, can, yeah. You can kind maybe of give a, a softer meaning to, Too much you know. of a critic here, I guess. Yeah, well, it's not, it's, everything that's ugly is not necessarily bad and scary. And she looks at me know. when she says that again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And they've made a movie out of that as well. Out of me being ugly? What? I think it was an anime. I will sue for it. No, it's live action. Oh, live action? Yeah, it's it's quite interesting. Oh, speaking of live action and cartoon, uh, number two is C.S. Lewis, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Oh, of course. We read the whole series in school. Yeah, too much of a Jesus metaphor in there, I think. Yeah, when you read them, were you aware of the the Christian metaphor? Did you read them just, you know, as the story of the fantasy? We did did the whole series for, like, book studies in um, elementary school. I think it was in probably grade six or seven. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. And number one, any guesses as to what you think the number one children's Mm. book would be? That may be a surprise. Here we go. E.B. White. Charlotte's Web. Oh, of course. Of course. Charming, lovely, lovely story. So much in there about life and death and relationships. Beautiful, beautiful story. So, number one. I haven't read it, but I still have my copy of the movie on VHS. Okay. I still own that same copy. Okay. So mm-hmm. you can you can enjoy that. Any any book that you read as a child that wasn't on the list that you'd like to see on a top 10 list? Mm-hmm. Eh. Secret Garden? I was thinking about that. I was thinking about it. Although I did not read it, I'm quite aware of it. Uh, Little House on the Prairie. Yes, of course. As a kid, I wasn't much of a reader. I wasn't much of a reader until a little bit later. I read everything I I could get my hands on. I think these kind of lists about these kind of books are uh, going to become more and more rare because the media of television and film today is so good. That you know, kids are gonna say, "Why am I reading this when I can watch it?" Yeah, I still have Mary Poppins. I still have my Mary Poppins and my um, uh, Winnie the Pooh books as a as a child. I have a very long list of books that I need to read, and I really need to start working on it because yeah. I own these books. Yeah, you know, well, it's, a maybe this, Cr- yeah. it's a shame Christina's not here because there was a uh, fan uh, a fan theory that Mary Poppins actually went to Hogwarts. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sure she's aware of that. I've heard that theory. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that she's Why a witch. Not? Why, Why not? not? Anyway, maybe that'll encourage you to get to your list, encourage some of our listeners to read them as adults or read them to their kids. Mm-hmm. I'm slowly working on one of the books that's on my list. Mm-hmm. Okay. And see, I'm a perfect example of what happens to a grown-up who reads all of those children's stories as a child. You become the wandering Jew that's, and immortal. That's well, the one I'm reading is not a children's story. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much, Nancy. So, my dear Kirsten. Yes. You got another brilliant moment for us? Oh, I do. you. My religion. And guys, guess what? What? The swooshy lady is back. Uh, the swooshy the lady, is, swooshy lady oh. is back already. Oh. One of our favorites. She was just with us. I know. I know. But we really like her. We can, we can take the seat. Hold on. Let me guess. Let me guess. She is stopping the planet. From uh, tumbling into something else. She's actually not stopping anything this time. Oh, really? She says, Jesus lives in a mansion and loves dancing and desserts. (laughs) Well, yeah, of course. Jesus always was a party animal. Everybody knows that. Yeah, so we were invited a couple of times, but couldn't go, remember? Yeah, that was a hobo that invited us. He just thought he was Jesus. (laughs) 
Just days after Cat Care, the self-proclaimed Christian prophetess, told an audience that she's seen Jesus and he's six feet tall and very handsome. She's back with more details about her friendship with her savior. This speech was given at Heaven's Invitation 2018 conference. And at one point you hear her talk about what Jesus' mansion looks like. You know, it'd be so funny if somebody would come out and Jesus would appear, but he's like four foot nine. <laughs> you know? Oh, that and would be And so it was funny. a fun mirror that just made him look like <laughs> That's right. six feet tall. Back then, Jesus appears in a fun house. <laughs> <laughs> That's a movie right there. there you go. <laughs> huh. Jesus Christ doesn't live in the throne room all the time. He actually has his own mansion. He deserves it. He had to come and live as a man and put up with it with all that, right? Oh, yeah. He died yeah. for us, so I think he deserves his own place. He has a magnificent <laughs> mansion that's in the biggest field of flowers that all sing. They sing all the time, and I mean, they have faces, and they sing, and they're beautiful, and I've seen inside the mansion. Oh. These are, that's so much better than alien abduction stories, don't you think? Well, you know what? I'm wondering, you know, if you got all these big mansions, you know how much dusting you have to do in a mansion? <laughs> <laughs> You're spending half your time... What do you do? You grab a piece of cloud, and you just dust your furniture well don't, doesn't he have the like the the, the bottom tier angels do that so, uh, so they work their way up maybe you i would just create my own air just, currents huh? yeah i guess just put a little jesus. cloud on like air currents and just send it well, around that's just great for the neighbor of jesus he it's gets jesus, all the dust jesus roomba <laughs> we had to send her one for a present <laughs> <laughs> she might swish it away <laughs> Apparently, it's a big place where there's tables labeled with all kinds of desserts. Every dessert you'd ever want because Jesus likes sweets. And there's dancing there all the time. And he plans special parties when someone comes home. He will actually send someone in his golden chariot with an invitation to that individual, which is given by one of his angels, his personal angels. And they will read off uh, read off of this beautiful scroll that they are going to be the guest of honor. The honored guest at a party thrown by Jesus Christ. <laughs> He loves flowers, dancing, and sweets. That's his three favorite things besides us. You know full well that his favorite dessert is devil food cake, right? (laughs) I was thinking of sweet Jesus. uh, Oh, the (laughs) bam! Yes. I I, I was looking here, and I'm waiting for the sweet. Do you think he's going to be the head of now Sweet Jesus franchise? Maybe. Why not? He likes sweets. This dessert, (laughs) this Jesus dessert, is brought to you by Sweet Jesus ice cream. Yeah. I thought for sure that's where you no, were that's going. not where I was that's going. Right. Instead of angel food, I you should know better than to know where you're going. <laughs> <laughs> and apparently, Jesus gives everyone pizza and ice cream because no one has allergies in heaven, so there's no issue there. The slices and scoops are huge, but don't worry because there's no weight gain, nothing. They all dance because heaven is just a child's birthday party that never ends. Now. I'm to me, going. this sounds like a trip through the looking through the looking glass into Wonderland. And also, what if someone doesn't like pizza or sweets? Then what? Are you forced to like those things simply because he does? Hmm. hmm. You know, I, there could be a Twilight Zone episode there. Yeah. You think you're in heaven, you're eating dessert with Jesus, and then you realize you go on the dance floor and it's playing disco. Then you realize it's hell. Oh. Da, da, da. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> And all of the desserts are desserts that you hate. Yeah, fig pudding. 
Yeah, and it suddenly switches from everything you like to now the music suddenly becomes chilling. And, <laughs> it's and country music thing, now. Yeah, things What is wrong with country deep. music? Oh, God, let me start the voice. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised you didn't have a comment on the singing flowers with faces. What? Oh, yeah, well, you know... <laughs> I mean, that's so ordinary. I'm allergic, so... <laughs> as soon as I heard that, I immediately thought Alice in Wonderland, right there. Yeah, I think uh, whatever her name is uh, has been uh, taking uh, too much swishing. A little bit too much swishing and not enough swishing? <laughs> whatever she's oh. sniffing is good. <laughs> we definitely need to hang out with her for a while. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> we need an interview with her. We do. <laughs> that, would be, that would be a day. All right. All right, on to a, a little bit more of a depressing note, now that that fun's all done all done with. Walgreens pharmacist refuses to give woman medicine to induce miscarriage. Ugh. On Tuesday, Arizona teacher Nicole Artega heard the devastating news from her doctor that after two months of pregnancy, the baby's development had stopped, and ultimately she would have had a miscarriage. The doctor gave her a prescription for... My so prostol, a medication that would induce the miscarriage since she didn't want to go through any invasive surgery. But on Friday, when she went to a Walgreens to pick up the drug, the pharmacist refused to sell it to her. Ortega explained the situation in a Facebook post. I stood at the mercy of this pharmacist explaining my situation in front of my seven-year-old and five customers sta- standing behind only to be denied because of his ethical beliefs. I get it, we all have our beliefs. But what he failed to understand is this isn't the situation I had hoped for. This isn't something I had I wanted. This is something I have zero control over. He has no idea what it's like to want nothing more than to carry a child to full term and be unable to do so. If you have gone through a miscarriage, you know the pain and emotional roller coaster it can be. I left Walgreens in tears, ashamed and feeling humiliated by a man who knows nothing of my struggles, but feels it is his right to deny medication prescribed to me by my doctor. Yeah, first of all, exactly. First of all, this is prescribed by her doctor. Yes. So, uh, fuck your opinion. Uh, yeah. Se- second of all, if she's carrying a dead fetus, this is become this is going to become life threatening to her. Absolutely. It's going to turn septic, and it's going to threaten her life. So, fuck your opinion again. Well, I tell you what, what to me is really a horrible part of this story, in that the pharmacist is talking to her in front of her children yes. and other customers yep. when he should pull her aside Absolutely. and have a conversation with her that's private so that this poor woman doesn't have to be explaining her medical situation to others. I know there are drugstores up here where it says, you know, you can only stand Yeah, so they have close. a line. They have a privacy... Yeah, yeah. You know, but, a buffer zone, right? Yeah, and at that point, I believe that he was required to um, um, send her to another to another. I should hope so. But it should have been done. I mean, the whole thing is horrible, but it was just exacerbated exacerbated by having having this woman to endure it in public. People, for the, the the first thing that comes to mind is, well, I'll just go to another pharmacy. Yeah, but if you live in a small town and he's the only pharmacist in the area, that becomes a problem. Becomes exactly. A real problem. So, anyway, that guy, the, the, the first thing you should do, at least, is at least contact your doctor and have a good conversation with the doctor and say, okay, what's going on here? Oh, yeah, exactly. If he's really concerned about that. 
There might have been another pharmacist in that Walgreens who would have handled it. Maybe, maybe. Maybe. I'm getting to that. Okay. She eventually got the medication after the prescription was transferred to another location across town. Okay. And this was done after she had left the pharmacy in tears. She got a notification that that it had been sent to another pharmacy. Um, But it's disturbing to any that any pharmacist would take an already traumatic situation and make it much worse by implying that she was doing something unethical. Yes. The pharmacist in question, Brian Hrenick, used his personal beliefs, he called them his ethics, to condemn Ortega, who is already struggling because he holds the absurd belief that inducing miscarriage for a child that will never exist is the equivalent of murdering a baby. Yeah, yeah. There were other pharmacists working that morning, but none of them were able to give her the medication for some reason. Like, I don't oh, know. Oh, they never oh. stated anything about a reason yeah, why this, they couldn't. This, this is a pharmacist. He should know yeah. better than this. He really you know, should. You know, there's, that's a national chain in the States. And um, like CVS and, you know, some of the others. So it just, this, this I'm wondering how Walgreens is going to deal with the fallout. I just wonder if those pharmacists in some way said, Heck, the baker doesn't have to bake cakes for same sex. Maybe we don't have to give medication for abortion. It's exactly what I said. Remember when that, that thing came down? When the when, when it came down, I said, you know, there might not be any legal repercussion, but there will be some repercussion outside of it, and this is what we're yeah. seeing. But I'm thinking that there's got to be consequences for that particular. Well, we'll have to see. Mm-hmm. We probably will never find out, but that's. Uh, well, who knows? Like yeah, the sushi lady, and this story might come back. In a statement to BuzzFeed News, Walgreens spokesman James Graham confirmed that company policy allows pharmacists to step away from filling a prescription for which they have a moral objection. Arizona is one of six states in the U.S. where it is legal for a pharmacist to refuse prescriptions related to contraception if it conflicts with their religious or moral beliefs. Walgreens dealt with a similar situation in New Mexico just last year when pharmacist Jesse Garrett wouldn't give a mother birth control for her daughter because he had a pretty good idea why the girl wanted it. Walgreens made the same excuse then, too. Their policy permitted that kind of behavior. As I said then, Walgreens should guarantee that if, the, that if a prescribed drug is in stock, someone in the pharmacy must be able to fill it. A yeah. Christian pharmacist's belief shouldn't inconvenience a patient's needs. Yeah, it's pretty yeah. basic. So if, you, if you're selling the damn thing, Yeah, so, so Walgreens has to abide by the rules in those five or six states, five or six, six states. Yeah. But at the same time, they have to accommodate the customer by having her referred, which didn't happen. Mm-hmm. Now, I do believe that Nicole Ortega, the lady that is been going through all of this i believe she did file complaints and things like that with um i believe with walgreens and she did go back to her doctor and so i don't know what's necessarily come about from that but hopefully there's some repercussions there and some things change because i mean the spokesman can can put a spin on it you know for walgreens but now we're going to have to see you know maybe the aclu will get involved but that's good coverage you really covered a lot of all the angles on that yeah, yeah. but at the same time like could you go could somebody go in there and filling a prescription for their antidepressants and be like oh i don't believe in that yeah like that could I don't cause you're depressed. Like, yeah, they could, could. They could believe that you're possessed by demons, so I I can't go against the demons. Like if that's your beliefs and you know you're going to come across that, why would you choose this profession? Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <clears throat> now back to a little bit more comedic. <laughs> and it's too bad Christina's not here. 
because it's Alex Jones. Oh, oh. boy. All right, let me get comfortable Alex with this. Alex Jones and the Swish Lady all in one uh, I know. We're episode. being treated today. Wow. Pedophile spiritual vampires are feeding okay, on the essence oh, of children. God. Pedophile spiritual vampires. Oh. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Oh. The, the, well, where do we start? Did she, Pedophile did, spiritual vampires. Do you need to? Do we need to go any further with that? Story? No, no, probably not. <laughs> it's, I give it a ten out of ten. I'm not credible at all. <laughs> if somebody listens to this on a radio. Pedophile spiritual vampires are. What are they doing? Uh, feeding on the essence of children. Pedophile spiritual vampires are feeding on our children. I, I don't know. I think I'm calling the cops uh, when I hear that. Uh, There's a madman on the loose, obviously. Obviously, he does, th- obviously, they don't get invitations to the mansion. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> the spiritual vampires are not partying with Jesus. We no. Know. No ice cream for you. <laughs> so what does a spiritual vampire do? Please enlighten us. Well, Alex Jones shot a video with his friend John Abiscaron while vacationing in Hawaii in which the two men asserted that, first of all, President Trump is being used by God to take down a global pedophile ring that is filled with spiritual vampires who feed on the pure essence of children. After Jones claimed that the media has been brutally persecuting Christians in an effort to destroy the faith so that they can then be God, Abiscaron said, that atheists have a demon inside of them that is fueling their bloodlust against Trump. Uh, hold They're, on, hold on there. How do we how do we get from spiritual vampires to atheist demons? Here? It's Alex Jones. That's how you get there. Come on. How did that wake happen? Up. I don't know. So, so are we the spiritual vampires all I think, the time? I think I think I think it might be making a little bit of a link there. Oh god. <laughs> they are naturally. I suck your spirit. <laughs> They're naturally going to reject what is from God, Abiskarad said. That's why you see people rejecting Donald Trump. Jones oh, yeah, said... Because when I think of, look at Donald Trump, I see God right away. <laughs> oh, yes, absolutely. I don't drink blood, wine. That's a, I don't drink wine. I only play a Mar-a-Lago. <laughs> <laughs> Jones said that people love Trump because he never was a hypocrite. (laughs) (laughs) And and is being used as a weapon against the enemy by God. Later, Abiscaron praised Trump for arresting the pedophiles like crazy, insisting that Donald Trump has been sending raids, capturing and finding children in cages, waiting to be tortured and ritually sacrificed. And wow, that is impressive how I pulled that one up. I was not planning that. So, so God's weapon against spiritual vampires that are sucking children dry because of atheist demon is to use a 70-year-old failed businessman turned politician. That is also an orange. That's Yeah, that's about the an flavor imitation of an orange, orange sickle. And that's, that's God's weapon? I am so glad you explained that. I feel so much at peace now that I know. <laughs> It's pure evil, Jones responded. They're vampires. They physically want to feed on the children. If they can't actually sacrifice them, they want to suck their essence out and ruin their innocence. <laughs> okay. Kevin, Kevin, our show is now over. Well, yes, our we show, can't that. It, our, it's no, It's no longer left at the valley. No. We're, we're done. Yeah. Kirsten's going to come on every week. 
and just read another brilliant moment. <laughs> another yeah. brilliant. That's the show it. is now Kirsten's another brilliant moment. Yeah. I mean, yeah. we can't do anything. Alex Jones edition. Yeah, Alex. Each one would be the Swish Lady edition. It'd be, <laughs> that we. That's it. We're, yeah, that's we're it. That's we it. become redundant. Yeah, and irrelevant. No, yeah, we, I totally agree. I totally yeah. agree. We need yeah. to or that, or at least start a new podcast and just make it that. You know? Well, I don't know. Following Alex Jones. Either, either one. I just decoding Alex Jones. Yeah, I, I, I can't. We can't compete. No, with we can't compete. With, no, no, and, and these these stories are obviously so far beyond us on a realm of of <laughs> psychic <laughs> sucking. They're, they're out there in the universe. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I, I give up. Yeah. This species has done. It's done. I'd, I'd be really curious to see what they have to say on with what they say here about him sending raids and capturing and finding children in cages what they have to say about that one now from when this story was was done well it's, it's obvious well, this is what's happening right the atheist demons are trying to cross the border with kids and then the kids end up being put in cages by Trump who's trying to save them and then the psychic vampires are obviously <laughs> coming in there and sucking the kids dry that's it that's it and we that's under- why they can't find them. that's why we can't find them. that's right that's why they have to put them in Walmart, because we all know vampires don't like to shop at Walmart. No, no, no. It's because you have to give vampires permission to enter your home, to enter a premises. Oh, in Walmart. Do they need permission? I didn't realize. Uh, apparently, Walmart okay. won't give you permission. Okay. Do you know Walmart is uh, has a bunch of vampire workers? That's why they have a greeter. Oh. To invite them in. <laughs> they usually look uh, more like the dead mummy. <laughs> <laughs> She's talking about the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the giving permission that was out of a movie. Which movie was that? That was... Um... I don't know. I've only seen the meme. No, there was, yeah, there was a movie that popularized that, that the vampire needed permission for you to, to for them to enter your house. Otherwise, you were safe. Oh. Now, you, didn't, you need to bless your house. You just need to oh. give him permission to enter. Yeah. Oh. Otherwise, he couldn't attack you. Anyway, so it's one of the 80s Are movies. Are you sure it wasn't like... I've never watched The Walking Dead, but are you sure it wasn't like an episode oh, it could of be The that Walking Dead? God knows. Yeah. I mean, even The Walking Dead is starting to make more sense than this house shows yeah. at this point. <laughs> All right. Well, while we're uh, done uh, <laughs> sucking kids dry of their spirit, can you think? Can we recover from this? I mean, in, in you know, can in 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 all honesty, can we recover? <laughs> can we recover from this? You know, there's been a lot of sucking lately on this show. <laughs> You know, sucking vampires now, and a couple weeks ago was sucking graves, and you know, grave suckers, grave that's suckers, right. and suckers. now vampire suckers, and what's next? Ooh, I wonder if. The people that live in which graves get sucked then become the sucking vampires. That's it. That could be. Well, our theory was that if they were atheists that they were sucking, that they would be deconverted. Yes. And then they turn demons, right? There's no reason to reject any part of this story. It all fits in. We can all make it a big link. This is almost good enough for a movie. Call Hollywood right now. Thank you, ladies. So oh, let's take a quick thank break. Thank you, Kirsten. Brilliant. <laughs> and when we come back, we'll be with Let's talk about the covenant. So stay with us. If your skepticism is socially conscious and doesn't take itself too seriously, you might like life, the universe, and everything else. Ray Comfort, his big stumper was literally which came first, the chicken or the egg? A lot of the interviews took place in front of a building that said liberal arts. <laughs> I'm guessing that they're not all science majors. (laughs) Life, the universe, and everything else. Available on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and pretty much anywhere else. I don't know, Zoom? Is that still a thing? 
a Canadian, a New Yorker, and a Southern Belle walked into a podcast. And all hell broke loose. Seriously, though, what happens when we three ladies get together? Well, definitely a lot of talking. And accents. Funny accents. Well, I don't have an accent, but my co-hosts sure do. We mix North, South, and the Great White North together for two hours of pure secular discussion. Nothing is off-limits. From goofy religions like Scientology, woo like ghost hunting and alternative medicine, to hardcore history, hermeneutics, sex, and science, we cover it all. What the heck is a hermeneutic? Well, it's not a guy named Herman who sings falsetto, that's for sure. Join Beth, Ashley, and myself, Deborah, every Monday night at 9.30 p.m. Eastern, and we take you beyond the trailer park and bring the conversation to life. Join us live on YouTube and participate in the conversation via the Q&A system, or catch us later on Spreaker, Stitcher, iTunes, and Nobex. Visit www.beyondthetrailerpark.com for links to the show and our upcoming schedule. Bring your wine and sweet tea and settle in for fun facts and free thinking. We happily wear the explicit tag, though, so make sure to wash out your mouth with something tasty before listening. That's live at 9.30 p.m. Eastern on YouTube. Come give us a like and a share, no matter what type of accent you have. Every night on television we see satire, we see comedy, we see people poking fun at politicians and all sorts of things. Why should religion, especially the Muslim religion, why should that be immune from people making fun of it? Not that this is making fun of it, I understand, but even so, why should you think that Islam should be uniquely immune from the things that politicians are not immune from and the rest of us are not immune from? Why are you so privileged in taking offense? Oh, well, joining us online is Bernard Laborel. He's an author and engineer. He's a snappy dresser and a snazzy dancer. Bernard, thank you so much for joining us at Left of the Valley. Hey, Kevin. Nice to uh, be with you. Glad to be on the show. Well, welcome. <laughs> Bernard, you know, you, you sent me your book, uh, The Covenant, and it's an extremely interesting book. But before we dive into it, maybe you'll be so kind to give us a quick bio as to who Bernard Laborel is. Yeah, sure. Well, my uh, current day job is um, more into uh, um, computer storage, high-performance storage, cloud computing, uh, that kind of stuff. So I'm I'm an engineer, and uh, I like uh, I like objective analysis and science, and um, yeah, you know, kind of got involved into this uh, this uh, research uh, about 15 years ago when I came across uh, one chapter in the Bible uh, that was the chapter on Abraham and the covenant and that kind of took me down the rabbit hole hmm. so it was you just stumble upon that and it gave you the idea to do more research into the book yeah, pretty much, yeah. I mean, well, you know, I, I was born and raised in a uh, kind of uh, in between a mother that was uh, quite religious and a father that was more of a uh, skeptic and an atheist. Mm-hmm. So always had kind of both a uh, an interest in the topic, curiosity, but uh, at the same time approach it with a uh, more of a skeptical, logical perspective. 
Well, the, you know, God works in mysterious way, but now you oh, he does. This, but <laughs> Left of the Valley is a Christian podcast, and no, it's not. <laughs> no, I think that's that's a great perspective between you know having the the religious background and then having the skeptical, yeah. being able to have an objective look, and yet with the understanding of where the the religious or the mystical or, or mm-hmm. the yeah. you know that I mean, that I- part of it comes from. You're right, and and Nancy, you know that I I strongly believe that spirituality is an important component of the human experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, you know, when I started out in this project, I considered myself more an agnostic than, than an atheist per se, and I I still I still do not consider myself a hardcore atheist. Um, I do like the idea of uh, that there's something more mm-hmm. maybe yeah. than just uh, j- just a materialistic perspective on life mm-hmm. but um, you know but the uh, I mean I, I was raised thinking and understanding that the Bible was not a uh, body of literally literally uh, you know should not be taken literally mm-hmm. that was basically just myth and legend and and so when I started reading uh, the, the story of Abraham and, and I just had this idea that geez you know it, it the story, when you read it, actually looks more like Abraham is in presence of a uh, of an important person more than a god. You know, I mean, I, I, I'm just thinking myself, if I was to meet God, I would be in absolute awe. And I don't think I would worry too much about what to eat at this point mm-hmm. and, and how to bake goods and, 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 and that type of stuff, you know. And, and so um, that, was, that was the first kind of question that triggered my interest in, in rereading that story. And um, I never thought or anticipated it would have been so productive and, and neither so long of a, a journey either. <laughs> well, just out of curiosity, did you originally read it in English and French? And did you go to the Hebrew or the Aramaic? Or, or you know, how, what, what background did you, did you bring to it in terms of languages? Yeah, excellent question. Um, first, I can't remember if I was reading it in French or in English. It, it was one of the two. And uh, at the time, I had absolutely no expertise on Hebrew. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so I was just reading it out of a translation. Mm-hmm. And and actually, um, you know, I did a fair amount of work uh, just using the translation because, you know, when you look at a text from a theological perspective— and and you run across a statement where, you know, Abraham is basically eating with God. There's so many take you can have on that. You know, what does it mean spiritually? Uh, while if you look at it from a very literal and you picture this God as a mortal, just as a as a human being, um, it, it's quite simple. You know, it's pretty basic. The guys are just breaking breads, bread, and um, and and so the translation is not that critical. Mm. Um, I, I, I eventually ended up taking two years of Hebrew class, biblical Hebrew, to to be able to dive deeper. But um, that only took place, you know, almost ten years after I started questioning the uh, the story. Two years of biblical Hebrew. Oh my God, that must have been horrible. But the, the great the great thing is <laughs> the pro- <laughs> this is this is the what the premise of your book is. You 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 claiming in your book that the character of Yahweh was essentially most likely just a guy, just a mortal yeah. man. Yes. And uh 
you know, the mo- I, I believe what, what's been the most amazing part of this investigation is the fact that nobody has ever investigated that possibility. And, um, you know, and I've been looking into it for many, many years. I mean, the only, the only reference is uh, Herbert Spencer that I found, which was philosopher a century ago, who, uh, you know, also suggested that uh, Abraham's Lord might have been just a mortal. But in terms of scholarly research, um, it seems nobody has ever taken that approach and, and tried to look at the text and even the history of the Bible using that, that premise. And yet, um, you know, when you start looking into the Bronze Age, you realize that the ancient Israelites or the Canaanites were celebrating the cult of the ancestor. You know, and I knew nothing of that when I started this this work. And you know, I I started out just from the text, looking at the text, and and, and actually, um, I, I can tell you how it went for the first day. You know, because I just started looking at the story in the Bible, and um, I reread the story, trying to visualize, just picture in my mind mentally, what does if the story would even hold by visualizing a mortal overlord as opposed to you know, a god. And and I was just amazed at how much more logical and, and how some of the pieces of the text that normally do not fit started fitting and making sense. And uh, and the whole thing just light up and, and you know, all revolved around um, essentially subduing the region of uh, the valley of, of Siddim uh, which is where we find Sodom, mm-hmm. and 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 that's the valley that basically connects Egypt with Mesopotamia. So you know, if you have the, uh, if you go back in the Bronze Age, Mesopotamia, which is today Iran, was kind of extending all the way up to Turkey, modern Turkey, mm-hmm. and uh, and then you had Egypt, and and so that that piece of land in between, which today is Israel and and Lebanon, um, you know, used to be. Um, uh, used to be uh, a trade corridor, mm-hmm. and um, and and so um, yeah, you know, I mean, it, it 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 started making a lot more sense that this this overlord would have sought to essentially keep control over that region. And anyway, the the whole text made a lot of sense until one point, and and when I ran into that problem i almost gave up because i'm like okay good you know this this idea makes no sense (laughs) Mm -hmm. and and that 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 particular point in time was when uh, god or the lord asked abraham to sacrifice his son isaac right because that's you know that's kind of the the climax of the story that we're told everybody knows the the story of Abraham through the sacrifice of Isaac, and and yet when you read the story literally in the Bible and you visualize this Lord being a human, you you realize at some point that he is the one. He's basically asking Abraham, hey, you know, because Abraham is unable to have a child with uh, his half sister Sarah, and and so the story goes that. Um, uh, Sarah offers Abraham her maid, yes. Hagar, and Abraham's able to conceive a child, and that's Ishmael. But the Lord is not happy with Ishmael and tells Abraham that he will have a son through Sarah. 
And, uh, and then at some point in the story, the Lord asks Abraham, where is Sarah? And Abraham tells her, well, she's in the tent. And then a little later, the Lord goes in the tent, does unto Sarah what he said he'd do. And nine months later, here comes Isaac. And oh. so this is literally in, in the Bible. And when you visualize this Lord as a human, um, you know, you, you've been, we've all learned from, from, from our childhood that the spirit of Yahweh visits Sarah and, you know, facilitates her becoming pregnant, right? Mm -hmm. But when you read it literally, it's pretty obvious that the guy is basically the one who fathers Isaac. And, 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 and it's very interesting when you look at the text itself because it, it, it clearly spells out that Isaac is the son that Sarah gave him. And, um, and it, there's a difference in the way um, the text speaks of Isaac and, this, and speaks of Ishmael. And, and clearly Ishmael is the son of Abraham and Isaac is the son that was kind of given to Abraham in some ways and um, and so anyway when when the Lord asks Abraham to sacrifice his son then there's a problem because if you read the story as it's written in the Bible and it says well you know he's he's asking him to sacrifice Isaac you're going well hold on <laughs> there's a problem here uh, you know if if Isaac is really uh, his 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 own uh, progeny uh, he, he's not going to ask Abraham to sacrifice him mm. and so um, you know I, I at that point I started questioning the the whole reading I was giving at it and I was about to give up until I started wondering well is there anybody else who maybe had suggested that Ishmael would be the son that should be sacrificed and not Isaac and at the time and, and we're back 15 years ago I didn't know, but it didn't take me long to realize that for half the believers, you know, for Muslims, mm -hmm. they believe in the whole in the same story, except they disagree on that one point. For for Muslims, it's Ishmael that the Lord asks for sacrifice, and for Jews and Christian, it's Isaac, and and that was kind of a, a trigger for me because. I figured, okay, if the if they agree, if they both agree on the same story, except on that little difference, there might be a historical reason for that discrepancy, and and that kind of started in a bit of an investigation. <laughs> well, well, I will tell you one thing: whichever way, whether it was Isaac or Ishmael, that conversation when they came back between Abraham and that kid was really awkward, really, really <laughs> awkward. Yeah. You weren't really gonna kill me, were you? Oh, no, no, I wasn't. Well, just a joke. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, prankster, man, prank war. <laughs> right, but um, yeah. So, you know, that was. I, I would say that that was kind of the first, um, the first awakening for me, mm -hmm. and and from there I started really um, investigating. You know, first of all, started rereading the text, trying to find issues with it. And the more I read it, the more I actually found that everything made a lot of sense. And uh, but it was still, uh, you know, I figured, well, if if this is the case, then maybe there's we have to find some more traces of that in history. There has to be uh, evidence. Yes. Of of this, and and so that's that was 
you know, a fair amount of my, my investigation that was to try to find evidence supporting this, uh, this idea. Before you, before you go into that idea, uh, if you know what, the, the way you said that, the way you looked at this character of Yahweh simply being uh, a man, I think is brilliant to begin with. Mm. Um, and it's true because we never think about it. We really never think about it. And if no. you talk to Christians, the first thing they, the, you know, like our friend Aaron Ross says, they love to read between the lines, but don't read the line. <laughs> Right. right. They like to read between, oh, this is what yeah. this means and this is what that means. And door does actually mean window and transcendence <laughs> actually means there was a rock over there and blah, blah, blah. They do that all the time. Mm-hmm. But you're taking the, st- the story as it's written and yep. as it was probably proposed to be read anyway. And you're yeah. finding new meaning into it. So what other clues in the story of Abraham did you have? Did you find that Yahweh might be just a guy? Um, well, there's there's a number of clues in the story itself. Um, I mean, the first clue, first of all, you have to approach the story. Um, I, I'd say from the either from the forest or from the trees. Mm. Um, you know, so when you step back and you look at what is this story, what's the purpose of this story, and uh, you look at all the. Uh, exegesis that have been made on this text and uh, there's clearly some issues with the text there are issues especially with genesis 14 and genesis 14 is this chapter where uh, we have four mesopotamian kings that come to subdue the people of sodom and and actually the chapter starts by telling you that the people of Sodom had been vassals for 12 years mm-hmm. and then they decided to revolt and then there's a punitive campaign from those four eastern king that come to basically just uh, put them back in their place and and as they do that they take away lot and all the goods and they run away and when Abraham learns about the fact that his nephew lot had been taken away as captive he basically, you know, puts a little army together of 300 people and chases them, runs after them. And he attacks them by night and he's, I guess, somehow lucky, but he manages to defeat them. And he brings all the goods back. And, and, and so you're going, well, wait a second. This guy just defeated one of the most powerful army at the time. There has to be a follow-up to that mm-hmm. you know either they're going to retaliate or and which is a possibility because mesopotamia is so far away they might make a covenant with him and that's exactly what happens in chapter 15 the lord sends a messenger and tells abraham you know that basically he's going to make him great and uh, he's going to give him the land of canaan in exchange for his absolute loyalty and all that and and just a little later, you basically the Lord, which we view as, as God, um, basically is unhappy because he keeps hearing some rumors rising from Sodom. You know the people are still there, wicked people. Mm-hmm. Now, what does wicked means? You know, wicked and sinners. Well, I think it just means that they rejected his authority. Right? They had been vassals for twelve years, and so they're they don't want to. They don't want to submit to this guy, and and so they keep keep revolting. But Abraham has just been kind of put in charge of the the whole place, and and so the Lord 
tells Abraham, listen, you know, I'm going to destroy the city. And Abraham says, well, wait a second, you know, if you find just a handle of a handful of people willing to submit, um, you know, you're just, you should be able to save them. Mm-hmm. And, and, and the Lord basically agrees and kind of sends his messenger over. And, uh, and when the messengers get to Sodom, and, and, and by the way, we always think of angels, because in the book, uh, you know, in the translation, it talks about angels. Yeah. But when you look at the Hebrew text, it actually says Malak. And um, the uh, a Melek is a king. Malak is a messenger of the king. And, uh, and even angelos in Greek means a messenger. Hmm. And so... You know, so it's 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 pretty clear that it, these are just guys that are going to inquire of the situation in Sodom, and they're basically being taken uh, to task by the the people of Sodom. You know, again, you have to realize these people were vassals for twelve years; they've been beaten up <laughs> badly, and and now these guys come to see what's the state of their submission, and. And then we learn in the Bible that these people, the, the, the people of Sodom, they want to sodomize these messengers. Well, I, I don't think they're trying to sodomize them for carnal pleasure. They're just trying to sodomize them so they can feel the pain of submission mm-hmm. that they have endured themselves, you know, during 12 years as, as vassals. Oh, God, that's and, absolutely brilliant. I mean, my mind is just blown here, the way I'm thinking about this. It's, it's a, <laughs> Sodom and Gomorrah would be nothing but a military conquest. Exactly. Oh, my God. That's just yeah, so, I, I so believe blown. the people of Sodom are freedom fighters. It's just that the story was not recorded. It was recorded by the winners, yes. not by the losers. Yes. And we see that time and time over in, in history. So when Lot and his wife escaped the city... They're not escaping the wrath of God that comes down. They're escaping essentially the army that comes and takes down the town. Exactly. Just destroyed the, the oh, whole thing. Oh, wow. I'm sorry. Again, I just fell off my chair here. <laughs> so so that's, that's, the, uh, that's the story from, you know, the 10,000 feet elevation view. You know, you can actually see how all these pieces make sense. It makes perfect sense. It makes sense from a historical context. You know, this is, this is exactly the type of stuff that was going on back then. Yes. And, and when you dive into the text and you look at the actual detail of the text itself, um, it gets validated. And, and one of the most amazing thing I found is that, uh, you know, scholars, again, scholars look at this text and they say, well, this text, you know, is, is, has nothing historical. And, and one of the main reasons they, they say that is because the Jewish tradition says that the story of Abraham dates back from the Bronze Age. Mm-hmm. But we all know that in the Bronze Age, there was no such thing as monotheism, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so they've been trying to ex- find explanation of how a small group of people could have developed a different religion. But there's no way. <laughs> that didn't happen. And, and, and so at some point they gave up. And they figured, well, that must be just a uh, a myth or a legend. Mm-hmm. And and the earliest kind of trace of where we think that story might have been put in writing is around the exile. You know, the Babylonian exile, which is about 600 years before Christ. Yes. And um, But what I'm showing in, in, in my work or what I'm arguing for is that it is impossible that this story has not been written down during the Bronze Age. 
Like it, it's impossible that this story could have been passed down with so many hidden details and that those details would have made it all the way to us. And, and um, you know, part of the details has to do with the way you look at the story. Um, there is a, uh, anybody who's done some Bible study uh, has probably heard of Julius Wellhausen. I don't know if you guys have heard about him, JDP. No, I'm afraid not. Uh, okay, so JDP is this idea that um, and, and Julius Wellhausen was a, uh, an, a German theologian from you know a century ago, who basically suggested that the Bible is a compilation of texts that you know some of the texts were coming from Judea, some of the texts were coming from uh, the the north, and um, and basically they were using different names like. People in the south would use Yahweh as their preferred name for that deity, and people in the north would use Elohim. Mm -hmm. And so when you combine the text, you kind of have some verses that were from the north, some verses from the back, and you kind of package that together. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it, I'm, I'm making it very simple. It's, it's more complex than that, but that's the basic idea. And, um, and what I'm trying to argue is that in the text, there is a anthropomorphic character, mm -hmm. and there's a immaterial deity. When you look at the names in the text, sometimes they're both called Elohim or Yahweh, so you, you cannot look at the name itself. But if you look at the actual context, is Abraham speaking to a deity, or is he invoking you know, that deity? And when you make that distinction, and you basically put the name Yahweh onto the anthropomorphic one, and you put Elohim on the immaterial deity, what you end up with is a text that is extremely coherent, that shows that that anthropomorphic character is, you know, is all along very consistent, that his motives, that his um, objectives, and the way he's acting is consistent, and that this immaterial deity actually matches perfectly what you would expect to see uh, in terms of Bronze Age religious experience. You know, it's basically the cult of the ancestors, some local deities being invoked, and, and so on. Mm -hmm. So, um, That's absolutely fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. Um, your, your, your book has been out fairly recently, right? Yeah, yeah just a few months out. How, how has it been received amongst seculars and and of course theists as well <laughs> that, that um it, it, it's interesting well first of all there's been no reception whatsoever among theists yet oh really um no because you know there's like like i i i, I like to say or put it um, people that are ready don't care people that uh should care aren't ready Mm. And what I mean by that is that atheists, uh, by large, don't care. They've already made their mind that Abraham, the story of Abraham is a myth. Uh, there's no point going there for them. Mm. And, and so, you know, and plus they, I mean, all scholars, not just theist scholars, but even atheist scholars all agree that the story of Abraham is a myth. And again, we have to look at why they believe that. And that's part of what I do in my book is to kind of deconstruct what are the evidence 
How have they interpreted the evidence? And it all starts from the premise, the premise that this is a religious text. And if you take that attitude, if you look at the text as a religious text, there's no way you can conclude anything else but the fact that it was a late composition. But the minute you they're asking the question <laughs> uh, and, and you pose the premise that this, you know, you, if this text was not a religious text, but was actually a secular text uh, that was basically describing the, um, that was describing a, uh, a secular covenant made, made with a Mesopotamian overlord, then everything has to be revisited and everything works. But it's, it's not easy to bring people to change their mind mm -hmm. and be willing to adopt a new perspective. So I'm still working on that. Okay, so let, let's say, for example, let's, let's, let's go with your, your hypothesis. Mm -hmm. Yahweh is a name they gave to a, a Mesopotamian overlord at the time. Mm -hmm. Is there any one of the characters that we know in anthro anthropology and archaeology that would fit this character? Well, I'm, uh, you know, in in my book. I mean, because that's obviously kind of the next question, right? Once you've once you figured, oh, look at this, you know, it looks like there might be a guy here. Well, who's uh, the guy? Then I started yeah, looking exactly. for somebody, <laughs> and and it's funny because my initial thought was to look in Egypt actually because you know pharaohs were defying themselves and all that and 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 so I, I just started looking into Egypt but I couldn't really find any profile that would kind of fit you know there was some interesting potential match but as soon as you started digging into it it would fall apart you know it, it just wouldn't hold mm. so it was interesting but nothing nothing serious and then I started looking into Mesopotamia and um you know, I basically looked at all the ruling kings from, you know, 2500 before Christ all the way down to, you know, 1300 or something like that. And there's only one character that really stands out as, I mean, it's just, I find it quite fascinating how well it fits that character. But it would be King Hammurabi. Mm. And, and, and King Hammurabi is this one of the great lawgiver of ancient Near East um, and yeah, so it's, it's, it's quite fascinating how, how we can. Nancy, did you, uh, were you thinking what I was thinking when he said King Hammurabi? No. Uh, uh, I mean, our, our friend Alman no, Ra. I, I, you go much deeper than I do. I don't, I'm not familiar with the different we, characters. We need to have Bernard contact Arn Ra, and we need to put him in contact with Richard Carrier and Robert M. Price. Absolutely. Well, I was thinking oh, that before. I, I've been yeah. in touch with, uh, with Richard Carrier. Okay. I, okay, I okay. love Richard dearly and i've actually have taken this class on on bayesian oh, really? theorem yeah try to apply that to my work and um you know try to engage with them uh, part of the challenge uh, richard has is that um you know i'm no phd yeah. and um and and my hypothesis um is a fringe hypothesis yes. uh in the sense that virtually all the work that i've done um, goes against what scholars have been saying and doing. Yet, none of the facts are different. Like, I'm basically using all the same facts. I'm just changing a premise that nobody has investigated, and I'm trying to show and argue how not only is 
everything much more logical, but it allows you to explain so much more. Mm. And, uh, you know, but I, I, it will take time. You know, it, it, I've, uh, I've come to accept the idea that it will take some time before scholars actually look into it. And oh, I can't course. blame them. Of you know, course, I mean, yeah. there's, there's so much to look into, so much to revisit in order to be able to validate something like this. And if there's somebody who would understand that, it would be Richard Carey himself, right? The fact yeah. that he's a mythicist, he, he's the yeah. first one that's going to admit, yeah, it takes time for people to start looking into the idea, accepting it as a possibility. Right, yeah. exactly. Yeah, I think but, we'd also recommend uh, we got to get him in touch with Robert M. Price. Which is okay. A, he's a, he's mm-hmm. a Bible scholar and uh, and uh, he's an atheist as well. He hosts the Bible Geek podcast. He's a fantastic source of knowledge on anything Bible. I think he would wow. be very very interested by your premise. Yeah, you know, I mean, my experience with most scholars up until now is basically when they hear about my work, they just dismiss it completely and they just go this makes no sense this guy's out for lunch Mm. but then if they only give me 15 or 20 minutes to because i understand exactly what their objections are Mm -hmm. i mean i've been there i run to them every day and and if i can only explain to them where i'm coming from why this makes sense and and just give them an opportunity to raise their objections and give me a chance to refute them mm-hmm. uh, then usually we can we can have a very intelligent discussion which is which is a, a, a lot more interesting and um, you know and and my experience is that uh, again there's there's a big difference between you know nobody's gonna say oh yeah you know this is this makes this is perfect not not scholars scholars won't do that they've got too much of a reputation yes. they might go as far as saying it's interesting you should read it you know, but that's pretty much the extent of which they will go. Um, but you've, but provided, uh, you've provided a foundation, and eventually they'll come back to it. I'm, is it frustrating yeah. for you to know that so much is there in that book that has to wait until others catch up to it? Oh, absolutely. That's I- <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. But at the same time... Um, I need to remain, I, you know, and, and that's part of the challenge. I'm, I'm very familiar with the fact that we're all biased, you know, and, and our brain plays tricks on us. And even though I'm trying to be as uh, objective as possible and, and, and try to, you know, I mean, a, a fair amount of my work has been trying to find just one fact that defeats this hypothesis, because it only takes one, you know, one one solid fact in history defeats the whole thing, mm-hmm. and and I just haven't been able to find anything. I found a lot of uh, objections that were based on interpretation of facts and and based on arguments, um, you know, of um, of um, you know just the fact that everybody thinks this is this way, so it should be this way, but. Um, Nothing based on actual facts. Hmm. Well, you join a, a long, <laughs> a long illustrious line of scholars and researchers who have found a little bit of truth, have found something that sets the world on edge and has yeah. to go through that period of being dismissed and yes. being called a pariah or be called, you know, whatever yep. whatever name it is. And then suddenly, you know, it's like Semmelweis, you know, easily, you just have to wash your hands and things will, yeah. you know, not, not 
not cause infections. It's it's the same thing, and it it does put you in a frustrating position. But eventually, <laughs> eventually yeah. you will be redeemed, which doesn't make you know a, a whole lot of comfort at this point. But uh, congratulations for sticking to it and for finding it and for being there and being willing to educate those who will have the um, the integrity and the the honesty and the patience to listen to you. Well, the, yeah. this, this is what I like about his book and his premise. It is so brilliantly simple. Yeah. yeah. You know, I've always I've always had I've always had the, this nagging thing in the back of my mind that people describe the Bible writers as these illustrious poets that were trying to convey this hidden message in mm-hmm. allegory and metaphor. It's like, no, you talk about goat herders. You talk about very simple people. Why would yeah. they not write word for word what they think happened? Why does it have to be much more to go beyond the text? Why not take the text at face value as told from a man from the era? And your book just brings that right back into the face of people and I think right. that's what's brilliant about it. Well, thank you. And and I do believe that it once you've set that premise and you look at the rest of the bible yes everything also makes sense you know you can see the evolution through the text and uh, and and you have archaeological evidence uh, allow you to to confirm that as well and this is also what explains why yahweh or god is so quote unquote human in mm-hmm. so many ways in the Old Testament. Because you know, he is. He's he's angry. He wrestles a guy. He he wants an offering of foreskin. Who the hell wants that when you're a divine <laughs> super being? It's the <laughs> dumbest thing in the world. But if you're some guy from the Bronze Age, it makes all the sense in the world all of a sudden. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 what you're saying is, is completely true. I mean, the, uh, the, the only caveat I, I would say is that it was also the case that gods were you know were anthropomorphic uh Mm -hmm. much more so you know throughout the near east so not just in the levant but you know pharaohs uh you know the egyptian gods the gods in in mesopotamia and all that so it's not unique but i think what is unique about the story of abraham is that once you post this mortal as a god none of his deeds are uh are supernatural you know, it, it, he just looks like a very regular guy looking for something very simple. He needs somebody to manage this land, and he needs a perpetual covenant mm-hmm. because he doesn't want to have to come back every year and deal with this issue. And and so there, he's trying to father a uh, a, a, a descendant, a heir that'll be the perfect heir. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, that's who Isaac. Turns so, out to be, and somebody who would be loyal to his throne. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. yeah. Oh God, it makes yeah. so much sense. It makes so much. Ah, <laughs> uh, this one. This is one of those situations. Is, it makes too much sense not to be for it not to be true. It's just. <laughs> well, you know, that's that's the all you're saying is 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 very interesting because people who read the book and um, do not have a scholarly degree, mm. for them, it just. It just makes so much sense, yes. you know, and and yet people that have a scholarly degree, um, you know, that are are very skeptic, because I one I think you know I think there's two ways to read a text. One way is just to look for things you disagree with, and one way is just to 
try to absorb the content. Mm-hmm. And and I think the, the 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 very few scholars that have looked at it, um, you know, have taken the first approach. You know, they're so convinced that it cannot be correct that they're only looking for, you know, what they disagree. And so far, all they've come up with are little details that change nothing yeah. in in the uh, in the sum of the work. You yeah. know, so. Wow. Fantastic. So, yeah. now, what's now that you've done this book? Is there is there going to be a follow up to this book? Is there another one coming up? Well, I think I'm going to keep busy for the next few years, trying to argue and 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 try to give some visibility to this work because ultimately I'm doing this because you know I I don't know if you'd agree with me, but I um, I find that religious fundamentalism, which is kind of in the rise a bit everywhere is such a plague to our world oh, is such an insult to human dignity that um you know i've been trying to find a failure in this interpretation and and i'm only out here trying to uncover something that might potentially help us get out of this mud that we're in mm-hmm. because i think if we can offer a very um scientifically proven or at least if scholars can come to agree that this is how it happened imagine the impact on religion yeah exactly you know i mean because you can tell you can tell guys like ken ham you know all night long that the ark of no you know noah's ark is is a myth that won't prevent him from believing in it you can tell him all you want that the covenant with abraham was a myth you can try to prove him that it was a myth. The minute it's a myth, it gives him the ability to say, well, you know, as you said earlier, God works in mysterious ways. Yeah. But if you can provide scientific evidence and show that the text makes so much more sense and you can actually trace the evolution in history of how it evolved, you can read in the Bible and see, look, this is what happened here. This is how what happened here. Who, who's going to want to put their faith in King Hammurabi exactly and see King Hammurabi or whoever king it might be if it's not if it doesn't turn out to him but in in a mortal lord and just like a regular secular covenant that that forces people to do a a, a deep analysis of their faith I believe and, and you know what um, I, I will I will totally agree with you and I'll take you one step further although you don't have to agree with me but I, I truly believe that for mankind to move forward, religion has to die. It really de- needs to happen. We need to really shed that Bronze Age belief, that stupid Bronze Age belief that's holding us back. Yeah, I, in in terms of, for from a fundamentalist perspective, I, I totally agree. Now, you know, uh, <laughs> I I believe spirituality is 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 not necessarily a bad thing, and I think no matter how hard we try, we're not going to make religion disappear. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think if we can just see doubt. You know, doubt is the only thing that kills, uh, that that gets people to kill other, mm-hmm. to judge other, and all that. You know, I think if we can bring them to just doubt enough, you know, oh, I still believe in the Bible, but, you know, I mean, if 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 the doubt is good enough, are they going to go as far as killing exactly. for the Bible? Exactly. I don't think so. Exactly. Belno, thank you so much for bringing this, uh, bringing us attention to this book today. Uh, we wish you the it's, best. It's just, it's, it's, 
it's groundbreaking and yes. at so many different levels and you have your work cut out for you at this point you know <laughs> absolutely to, you know in talking yeah. with other with other scholars and atheists and and religious people and spiritual people to bring this to their attention and then let their own curiosity and research yeah. come to the same conclusions because they are going to have to dig in just as you yeah. did and look at it and then come out the other side saying aha or or prove me wrong prove you know wrong. either exactly. way it's good exactly. you know either way either, either way, way we're making forward we're going forward exactly mm-hmm. Bernard, do you, th- you think you're, you're planning on going on some kind of book tour with your book well, I mean, if there's if there's demand, yes. <laughs> Why not? You know, but I think the book hasn't been out for a long time. I'm not, you know, I this is this is for me just kind of a part time. I call it a hobby or whatever, my passion. But um, you know, obviously, being able to get on show like yours and being able to talk about it is is so important. So I'm so thankful for the opportunity to to be able to talk oh. about it because that might raise bring a couple of people and and. Who knows? Maybe even guy like Aaron Ra to take a look and and uh, engage and have an intelligent conversation. That well, would be wonderful. We hope so, but uh, don't don't get any delusion. This show is pretty much the bottom of the barrel, right? I mean, you can only go up from here. <laughs> it, it only takes one. It That's only right. takes one listener. That's but all it but takes. I'll tell you, we have great connections, That's so we right. can we help you. That's we can right. certainly help you with connections. We have <laughs> we have no lack of good connections. That's no. Before I let you go, I gotta have you say hello. I'm Bernard Laborel, and I took a left at the valley. Hello, I'm Bernard Laborel, and I'm so happy I took a left at the valley. And that was Bernard Laborel. What a thought-provoking book! I, I love that. I am stunned by this. Yeah, I mean, as someone who's totally, as you know, unfamiliar with with the Bible, it makes sense. Yeah, exactly. It, doesn't it? It, it makes, makes so much sense, and it it fits everything that we've learned throughout years of of, of uh, you know, like like I said, you know, we were talking to Arn Raw a couple of weeks ago, you know, about uh, the Christians. You read between the lines and never read the line. And then Richard Carey saying, you know, gods are anthropomorphized. It was a fashion thing. They were in the sky and they came down. They have these adventures on Earth. Well, this was kind of like the other way around. It started as a real guy. And remember, even that story we had last year about that when they found that uh, that uh, sex doll in Indonesia, mm-hmm. and within yes. two months, and this is in 2017 or 2016, and within two months, there was already legends about her being an angel and crying, and this is in 2016. Yeah. So uh, given given so many hundreds of generations in, 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 in the Bronze Age, how quick would Hammurabi need to, 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 to become Yahweh, to become a god? How quick would that happen? It would be so fast. It would be very fast. Well, I'm, I'm totally impressed with the the dedication that he had in answering that 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 curiosity question of his mm-hmm. i mean he he learned hebrew he went to um, you know a bible study i think he got a degree yeah it, yeah he studied biblical hebrew and went to a, a theological school and if you look at the back of his book it is extremely well researched this doesn't coming out of the left or i think this is what happened or this could have it's all based on on historical you know as much historical research as he could as he could find i don't know if he's right or if he's wrong but to me yeah. that that piece of 
of information that almost feels like that piece yeah. of jigsaw yeah. that just fits in perfectly. Absolutely. Like, oh my god. Yeah. Now I see a bigger, a clearer image. It Let's, just goes to show that sometimes, like, don't shy away from the simple answers. Exactly. That might, exactly. Don't overlook that simple answer because it seems too simple to be right. Yeah, and he's so open. If he's wrong, he's like Richard Carrier. If I'm wrong, prove show me, me wrong. But then that will lead to other findings and it's all part of that scholarship in trying to determine we'll have to keep an eye on him for sure absolutely absolutely. thank you so much ladies and to our audience for being with us on the show today Uh, you can find us at leftatvalley.com you can follow us at uh, Facebook on Twitter at LETV Podcast send us an email at leftatvalley at outlook.com send your complaints to Nancy on the third floor Coming up. On the balcony of the, the third balcony. floor. Yeah, because so now she's it's summer. Throw you off. <laughs> <laughs> Coming up, uh, we'll have our uh, interview with Seth Andrews. He had to postpone it because he was actually doing the 1,000th episode oh, of the 80s okay. experience wow. He's today. So, yeah. yeah, so of course, we're just going to wait for him to, to be a bit more available. Um, and we'll also be doing a, uh, a Thomas Whisbrook uh, from the channel Holy Kool-Aid and the podcast Here and Now. Mm. Also, coming up uh, in uh, July, we'll have uh, Scott Marshall talk about uh, love. That should be fun. Uh-huh. Love Explained. And uh, we'll have Professor Jerry Coyne. That's also coming back. That's They'll be right. talking about Will. Do we actually have Will? And our old friend, Eli Bosnick, uh-huh. is coming back. And we'll talk about humor. Because nobody can laugh like or make us laugh like oh, Eli Bosnick. Oh, I am so excited for this lineup. He might also have a very special guest coming with him. Oh, yes. Oh. And our, our, also our friend, Dr. Ben Davis, returns. He's going to be talking to us about junk science. Okay. He loves to talk about junk science and what is real junk science and what is actually science. And in August, we'll be talking to Anthony Magnabasco about street epistemology. Oh, I've seen some of his yes, videos. Yes, yes. Yeah, uh, yeah. With, with Peter Bogosian and all that. Yeah, yeah. We'll come full circle. Yeah, he's him. a disciple of Peter. Exactly. So, yeah. And he's actually a very good disciple of Peter. So oh. it's going to be absolutely interesting to talk to him about that. Great. Excellent. Yeah, yeah. lots to look forward lots to. Lots to look forward, as usual. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much, ladies. Until next time. The parties of God's hands are bloodstained. Millions of murders by believers. And they're all in God's name. And let me take a say, don't mean it sounds so hateful, but I swear to God, unintended, I find it disgraceful that many atheists are told to be quiet. You're not alone. Speak your mind. Time to let it be known. I'm proud to be an atheist, a skeptic, a non-believer. 